we launched <laughs> applause applause our bible app is available on android and ios and i am so proud to tell you that and i need you to do two things for me Number one, subscribe to get rid of the ads. And then give us a shout out on the App Store. The more shout outs we get, the more likes that we get, the higher the app rises and the easier it is for the rest of our community to find. Just let us know how much you like it. I'm hoping for five stars all around. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today I sit down with Jay Mesa III and Lady Dane. Together, they are pioneering a new book called The Black Trans Prayer Book that seeks to answer these questions. What does it mean to have a faith practice that simultaneously challenges white supremacy and transphobia? Where is there a theological framework that centers the most marginalized and creates pathways towards an active spirituality moving alongside social justice? How might a spiritual practice not in tune with these questions cause harm? The Black Trans Prayer Book is holding these questions very closely. And it gives you chills, right? Let's get into the show and talk to Mace and Dane. Oh my gosh, so welcome to Lord Have Mercy. Yeah, thank you for having us. Of course, man. Mason, I haven't talked to you in forever. And Dane, I don't think we've ever I met. I don't think we have. Either. How did you guys no. meet? Because I know I met Mason by stalking him. And it's a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was yeah. like, will you play with me? Will you play with me? <laughs> and Mason was like, nah, I got time for that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Wow. Hopefully it wasn't like that, but I'm listening. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was not like that. Um, no, we met at um, we met through this event called Capturing Fire, uh, which happens in D.C. every year, and it's a queer um, international poetry festival. Sounds so. Nice. We were both featuring there. Yeah, Dane, you do poetry as well. Is it spoken word or is it written? I, I I started really started both both uh, both Mason and I um, both do faith work, um, and you know if you ever saw one of our shows, we have poems that that um, speak to specific stories and and myths and um, sounds uh, in different cultures all around the world. Some of them in the Quran and the Bible. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean like last year we we kind of like last February we kind of started discussing. Um, this project. How did you get start, even start to get it off of the ground, though? I mean, talking about, I mean, first of all, Mason is like a project factory <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> Mason's like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Um, but then also trying to get something off of the ground is is hard. Like, I just, we just launched our Bible app and um I was talking to uh, somebody who's been putting money into the whole thing. Um, and she said, um, had we known how much this was going to cost, we probably wouldn't have started the endeavor, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's such a freaking journey. Um, have you, I mean, you guys talk about a year, like what happened in that year? What has been the process, the journey? I would say in the last year, what we've been coming up with is a framework about sort of why is this, not just why this work is important, because we've known since the beginning why this work is important. I think every time we talk about it, we kind of feel that vibration about 
why it's important to talk about um, black black trans bodies and faith spaces and having a particular uh, spiritual practices that are accessible to us. Um, but also, you know, reaching out and sort of talking to other people about that sort of framework. Um, what I think is particular to black trans people is, you know, we've been doing lots of different stuff with or without funds, right? So yeah. the reality is, is that um, we create things out of nothingness because that's just sort of been existence. And so this book for us is going to happen regardless of whether or not we have $5 billion or $0 because it just has to. Uh, because when we think about ourselves as people who do lots of faith work, uh, but also knowing so many other Black trans people who create new spiritual pathways, right, just by existing, uh, we want to kind of give, uh, we want to kind of give notice to that. So yeah, so I think for us, part of our journey has been about fundraising and sort of doing that stuff. But it's really been about working with other Black trans people, talking to other Black trans folks and folks who are in solidarity with Black trans folks, and talking about the expertise that we have <laughs> that deserves to see the light of day and deserves to be, to be centered. Amen to that. Dane, did you have anything to add about just like the journey itself? I kind of think that like Black trans people are, are constantly having to... Um, do multiple things and be multiple things um, and produce multiple things. And so yeah. one thing I know about Mason and one thing I know about myself is that like we are deeply committed to um, to economic justice. We're deeply committed to reparations. Um, and we're also deeply committed to um, centering and celebrating other Black uh, trans and gender non-conforming people. And so we both, uh, Mason and I, primarily feature trans people of color. You know, trans people have to be multifaceted because um, that's really the only way that we, we can survive, period. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's the plan? How do, you, how do you intend on getting the funds that you need? How do you intend on writing it all out? Yeah, I mean, so for us, like what we've been doing is we've been doing a few different, we've been, one, we've been crowdfunding Two, we've been approaching specific faith communities and saying, hey, you know, y'all are very into like anti-racism. <laughs> y'all are very into, you know, creating spaces for black folks. Y'all are very into um, ending transphobia and all these things. Like, let's talk about the connection between white supremacy and transphobia. Yeah. And let's talk about uh, highlighting the spiritual practice that sort of dismantles that. Right. And so we've been getting donations also from specific uh, faith uh, congregations and organizations in that way. Um, what we're trying to do as far as the writing of it is that this is not going to be a project that's just about the writing of Dane and myself. So, you know, we both feel very confident about the theology and the work that we've put into, um, into movement and into spaces. Um, and we want to not just credential ourselves, but credential, again, the, the tons and tons and tons of other Black trans people doing beautiful spirit work. And so we're going to be hosting a retreat. It's going to be a four-day retreat wow. where we're going to be flying out different Black trans healers, spirit workers, artists, uh, poets, performers uh, from all over the U.S. And we're going to be getting together to have a week of healing, right? So have that time of healing. And so using that healing space to start the creation of the book. Mm. And so once we kind of all get together and able to do, you know, our prayers, our spells, our incantations, um, our readings together, that's sort of where the actual text is going to come from. I love that. That warms my heart. I know that you're going to be able to accomplish this. I mean, it's just so needed, seriously. Yeah. Um, 
especially like uh, black and brown bodies around ritual. That's something that's really precious to us right now. Um, mm -hmm. I guess what what makes you um, the right people to create this? <laughs> Listen, why why the heck not? Because <laughs> we black, we trans, um, <laughs> we everything. <laughs> so what I found so often is people say, "Oh, I want to work with the trans community," and they create initiatives, they do a thing, but very rarely is that money. Um, is that centering and celebrating actually being focused on community that they're supposed to be helping. Um, right. I, think, I think that Mason and I, our work speaks for itself, and I think that our history around um, centering and celebrating our community speaks for itself. And so um, it is imperative for me, um, and what I believe, is that trans people should be um, trans people should have all the funding that they want to be able to help their community. Amen. Um, yeah, and I think um, some of the stuff that comes up for me is I remember a couple years ago I was actually invited to speak at a uh, at a school. I was you know coming to do a few different things, but in particular I was going to be giving a talk around queer and trans liberation theology. And I remember that the chaplain on campus was so upset <laughs> about my presence. And so one what? of the things that she put forth was, you know, well, why does this person get to speak? And what are their credentials? And, you know, are they going to give space to people who disagree with them? X, Y, Z. You know, and all these different things. And so what I communicated to that chaplain and to the other staff members was, one, I'm not afraid of anybody who disagrees with me because people that disagree with me far outnumber me all over the world, right? Okay. And that's actually the truth. Know yourself. About about what gets to be spread around theology. But two, my credentials didn't have to come from some fancy school. It didn't have to come from a specific uh, particular um, denomination because the reality is as a black trans person who grew up in, multi, in a multi-faith space as a Muslim and Christian person who um, has expounded my faith practices, um, my credentials is I've survived, <laughs> you know? all of the white supremacist theology that exists out there, all the transphobic theology that exists out there, I had to come up with and have a certain understanding of the text in order for me to even be here to this point. So those are my credentials. And I think that's our credentials as, um, as black trans people, again, that, you know, despite all the things trying to kill us, here we are. You still can't get rid of all of us. That's what I love about you, Mason. You're, you, you stand in your truth like very few people I have ever 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 met you're you're like i'm a motherfucking unicorn this is who i am i'm gonna stand tall maybe not unicorn in like the what has become the traditional word but you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> um so something that we do like to talk about on this podcast is we like to talk about god sex in the bible and while um mm -hmm. I know maybe not the Bible isn't like the greatest thing to, to, to touch base on. Um, I am interested in talking about um, maybe your personal relationships with God and what and who God is to you. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I'm going to ask you about sex, because, of course, <laughs> <laughs> I have well, to make you feel actually, awkward at some point. <laughs> no, listen, listen, the only so I know. I know Dane Figueroa Didi ain't awkward about that. Okay. Uh -oh. You're shady. I'm never shady. I'm just honest and open about what I experienced with my my lovely friend Dane. Um, okay, great. So, yes. 
Yeah, and so I think actually Dane has a lot of different stuff that she, so we have the opportunity to do lots of workshopping and things like that together. And so I really love, um, yeah, so I'm gonna talk very shortly about my experiences. I love hearing Dane talk about some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, for me, when I think about um, God, Allah, um, and the expansiveness of that, I think for me, you know, I imagine uh, a God that is uh, gender nonconforming. I imagine a God that is very transcendent. I imagine a God that is um, that includes me <laughs> in their um, imagination of who their people are, mm-hmm. right? So I think very much when we think about the um, the Abrahamic face, and I think specifically about Abraham, <laughs> and I think about how uh, God was able to, that Abraham was able to have a conversation with God in which um, God was able to shift in yeah. their thinking, you know, and to ex- to move forward. And so I think of God is constantly learning that God created us um, as puzzle pieces, just like we like to uh, create things and work out problems. I like to imagine the more that we learn about ourselves, the more God learns about us. And so I'd like to think that as I've grown in my gender, as I've grown in my politics, as I've grown um, in my understanding of the world around me, that God too grows in their understanding. Yes. Snaps to that. No, I think for me, my, my person that I always think of as like being able to uh, talk back to God um, was David, you know, um, and I think Moses, Moses is another one that I haven't thought about in a long time. So I'm definitely going to take that um, off screen. I'm going to take that home and sit about it and think about it a little bit. Dane, mm-hmm. who was um, God to you? Well, I think uh, God is everything, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you know, God is you, God is me, God is us, God is that infinite um God is infinite possibility. God is the Big Bang. God is everything. Mm. Um, I, I, it's really difficult for me to like um, kind of conceptualize God in a way that I think so many um, so many humans or scholars want us to. I think that mm-hmm. I'm okay with understanding that not only is uh, is the goddess God, she, he, they. Um, not only is God um, so expansive that God is eternal, but that God is also um, the mother of evolution. And so mm-hmm. uh, to kind of reflect back on what Mason was saying, you know, as we become more of our, as we evolve as, a hu- as humans, I think that um, so does um, our understanding and our relationship and our, and our, um, and our connection to God, but I also believe that as we evolve as individuals, as we learn about more and more of who we are, I think that it, it, it's like um, finding more of that, um, that illumination that is God within ourselves and what that means. You know, for me, um, I speak very specifically about how my relationship to deity really sparked me to really confront trauma. And in that conversation with trauma, with God, with the Orishas, with the ancestors were pushing me towards, was to really embrace all of who I am. And that is being, you know, a trans goddess on earth, honey. Um, <laughs> and so um, I think that for me, spirituality, religion, at the heart of it, is about um, really ripping off the mask and healing us 
and making us more in line and in alignment with our own divinity. I think that like when it, when it comes to this, these more new age thoughts of what God is and how God is in each of us, it can be really, really hard for those who are more traditional uh, and conservative to, to palate it and to stomach it. And, you know, I, we never want to exclude those people, but sometimes it's really, really hard um, to commune with them. What, <laughs> what would you say to those people um, as they listen to your experience? Uh, when I was studying, I, there was a long, was saying that a Christian philosopher um, back in the day, some Christian, even some Christian mystics, said if you take the sun, right, and you put a crystal up towards the sun and there's like several different rays, and that's kind of what they feel about God, that each thing on earth has experienced God in a different way. Like the flower has a relationship to the sun that, um, that's different than my relationship to the sun. Um, and your relationship to the sun might be different than someone else's relationship mm. to the sun. And so um, that's kind of, and also I think that when we actually, if this was like a Bible study course, right? I mean, you're preaching right now, so keep going. (laughs) (laughs) We could actually go in the Bible and find places where Jesus is saying, right, that like, that that we are reflections of divinity, right? Like, Mm -hmm. even just as simple as what you do to the least of these. Now, if we go into the old Aramaic and we actually look what the translation is, like it might say something differently than what we've interpreted it as for all these years. But what I've heard on every um, movie, on every church that I've gone to, is that what you do to the least of these, you do to me. So if Jesus is even saying that, like, when you harm someone else, you are harming me, what does that mean? Hmm. He's everything. I mean, some people hold, yeah, sorry, Mason, go ahead. I was just, um, the thing that I was thinking about is what is even traditional faith, right? It's like when we're talking about, because who gets to claim to be more of traditional values tends to be people that have a very specific version of faith, which comes from a very white supremacist lens and a very colonizer lens. Mm. And so like there was a faith before that. Right. So I think for me, hmm. it's meaningful that the one country in Africa that has never been colonized is also the first Christian nation, which is Ethiopia. And so when I think about the ways that Europeans specifically used Christianity to go around and used it to um, enslave people, used it to cause uh, genocide and all these different things and tried to bring the same uh, bastardized version of that religion um, back to Ethiopia and could not do it. Right. That means something to me about what what are the actual roots of this faith, right? Um, I think about, and so something we've been talking about a lot is, um, so my favorite person to talk about right now is this guy, Rodrigo de Bastidas, who is a colonizer Mm -hmm. that came uh, to what is now called Panama. um, And um, in Panama, uh, Rodrigo wrote very extensively uh, about seeing all these trans and gender nonconforming people. Right. And so all these uh, people that were not just transgender nonconforming, but so all these people that were being revered as transgender nonconforming people. And he thought that the Christian thing for him to do was to murder every single person that was transgender nonconforming, as well as the people that revered them. So he murdered whole towns based off of that idea. Right. And so if your version of Christianity 
is a white supremacist tool, and that's what you call tradition, you can keep it. But yeah. we have to, but for the rest of us that have to live as black people on this planet, as brown people on this planet, as trans people on this planet, as people with disabilities on this planet, as broke people on this planet, we have to figure out something else that actually is truthful mm. about the world we're living in. Oh my goodness, you guys are gonna melt the mic. <laughs> it's so much fire. I wanna reflect, I wanna reflect on that because I think that we also don't have enough scholarship around who the people were that the word was revealed to. Hmm. Right. So um, for me, you know, in my book, Yeah, My Ass Daughters, um, it, there's a, a line that someone says, if the prophet sees with the eye of God, it means that she possibly understands everything that she sees. And so I think that for me, that it is not enough for us to think about spirituality um, and or, or religion in terms of, oh, this is the thing that my grandmama said, so I'm just going to go ahead mm -hmm. and take the thing. And this is the thing that my, grand, my great-grandmama then had gotten from the slave master because he took away her right to be able to practice her own indigenous religion and force this on her. Mm -hmm. um, but every religion around the world, whether it is Christianity, whether it is Islam, whether it is the Lukumi, whether it is Buddhism, it, it is founded within a culture of a people. And I think that we don't have enough investigation into who people are that are that are that this that re, that religions and faith practices are being birthed within it isn't um, so for you well, it is it's incomplete and so then my question is that, that does that mean that for you it relies on like you said that refraction of light that that personal experience with the truth i think i think that for me it is it is about being a good person Okay. at the end of the day and that and that religion is is meant to bring us closer to um divine being and and so you cannot so one cannot say to me god is love god loves you but then also say but i'm gonna kill you because yeah. i don't think you have a right to exist but those not as you are yeah both of those things logically um and and you know, people say God is illogical. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think God created. If God created everything, then that means God also created logic. And so yeah. God gave birth to these rules of, of, of engagement. Um, then that means that God is not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot, right? Like, <laughs> and so I think that people need to really examine themselves really examine their own relationship with who they are. I think that a lot of people's hate and a lot of people's um, genocidal behavior um, have nothing to do with God and have everything to do with white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that requires examination. So I, I imagine that we're going to see a lot of these, these themes present in the book you're writing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. I mean, it's it sounds like it's gonna be a fantastic book. Like you're getting my blood like flowing. I'm excited to be talking to you guys. <laughs> We're um, excited about it. We're very excited about it. So yeah. So I think every time we talk about it, we just get more understanding of just how important this kind of text is. Okay.
Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Noelle Hare, managing the many textures of you one natural drop at a time. Noelle is superfood for your hair. I use it on my own natural curls every time I get out of the shower. It locks in moisture and actually feeds my hair the food it's not getting from other products like mousse and hair gels. I actually find I use that stuff less now that I'm using Noelle. So check it out at noellehair.com and get your free shipping. Visit noellehair.com, that's N-U-E-L-E hair.com for hair superfood. Lord of Mercy is also brought to you by The Sorting Chat, a newish podcast where three women talk minutia related to Harry Potter, drink and laugh alongside occasional guest stars. Like any true literary lover would, they take J.K. Rowling's source material too seriously, but not too seriously that they can't make fun of themselves for it. They post on the first Thursday of each month and sometimes more. Visit thesortingchat.com. Well, here's my next question, though, because my, I mean, my faith background has influenced the way that I see and view sex. And on this show, we talk a lot about purity culture. We talk a lot Mm -hmm. about the ways that, you know, gender is treated differently within any religion, you know. Um, And so I'm wondering how your transformation and your, your evolution with um, religion and faith and spirituality has has it affected um, the way you view sex and sexuality and even gender identity? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the that's like the 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 less salacious side of sex. We can definitely go to the to, to the other side too if Listen, you want to. <laughs> I want to hear Dane talk about the more salacious side of sex. That's what I want to hear. That's Dane, what, what can you tell that. us about the salacious I side can't of sex? I hear Dane talk about sex. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, Mason, Mason is saying that because I'm actually an initiated love priestess. So, what does that um, mean? I am a part of a line of women um, that uh, is uh, initiated to the goddess Anana, who okay. was a Sumerian goddess, and she was the goddess of love, the goddess of sex. She was the goddess of the temple sex worker, the the uh, the profane, as they say, sex worker. She was she owned everything. Um, so she was, in a sense, um, an almighty goddess in the Sumerian culture. Um, and so my relationship with sex and my ideas around sex is that it's a sacred act. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sacred act whether or not it is between you and someone for only one night or if it's between you and someone for the rest of your life whether it's between you and multiple someone, if you're polyamorous, um, that really during the act of sex, we are calling down what I believe um, is a piece of divine spark. And we are completely in that moment of, um, in that moment of ecstasy. See, the thing about ecstasy is that in the ancient days, ecstasy was believed to be a complete and utter surrender to divine being. And so you, you, you experience ecstasy because the divine being has completely um, possessed you um, or, you know, you've been caught the goat, they used to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that um, sex is really for so many people when it's consensual and when it's healthy that it is one of the only times that people are... Um, are 
given over to completely being vulnerable without shame. And so, or without fear. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I would like for our society to move to a place in which we not only discuss sex um, in, in, a, in a very healthy and nuanced way, but we're actually also experiencing a sex that is gratifying, that is loving, that is affirming, um, and that is seen as something that um, is sacred, and that within that act of consensual sex, that we are really touching and receiving part of the divine. I mean, that's... That's, that's my thought. <laughs> no, I love... I mean, it still leaves the question open um, of, like, what's your your role in that? You know, you say that you're a goddess of sex, and it sounds like you are some kind of, like, a, a, a counselor or a therapist or, you know, ushering you know, people into the, the right kind of sex for them and their spirits and their bodies. Like, does it get more salacious than that? Or are you just, are you holding back is what I'm asking? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I think that there are things that I, like, you know, there are things I can't say, right? Because it's like, you of know, course. there are things that are, are sacred and, and secretive, right? Mysteries, as we call them in, in spirituality. That's not but what Mason I wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I can get the I can get the deeper stuff later. It's good. It's good. <laughs> but I definitely think that you I think you hit the nail on the head for me is that I think so many of us so many people that I know are not um are not experiencing joy in sex. And to me that's sad. That breaks my heart. It's a tragedy. It's um, tragic. Because I also believe that spirituality and that religion should create a space in a world that is safe for people to be able to um, feel comfortable enough within a consensual context to, uh, to experience joy. Um, and I'm, I mean, it, it, the sad part is, is that like so many people Oh, I think that if religion was doing its job, I think that if spirituality was doing its job, I think that we would have a world that was free of sexual violence and sexual trauma. Like you said, yeah, it's it's an eventual and it's a hope and it definitely is going to add, it calls for us to, to do our work. And by doing work, I mean stepping out of the norm and, and calling it out too, you know. And part of that mm -hmm. is just recognizing that there are a lot of people who are not satisfied with sex and aren't connecting spiritually with their partner or plural partners um, and really, you know, having those divine interactions. Because I'm just like you, I see sex as a very spiritual act. <clears throat> and in fact, mm -hmm. um, having that knowledge and having that story has been able, has allowed me to have... Um, interesting conversations with people who want to call me out um, because I'm a lesbian, you know, and they want to say, well, you don't believe in God or you don't, you're not a Christian and blah, 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 blah. Because what they're really getting at is, is your, your connecting pieces that are supposed to connect in sex don't connect. So therefore you're not having the same kind of, of connection that I have with my 
um, opposite sex counterpart. And it's just, Mm. and being able to say, well, it's a very spiritual thing for me. And these are the things that I experience. And this is what I'm looking for um, and can expect from my creator when I do engage in those acts really changes something in the conversation. I think, I don't, I maybe it just throws people off, off their path. I think, um, I think that's also, so that last piece that you said, you know, it throws people off their path. I think realistically when people are saying like, oh, well, you can't be having a, you can't believe in God or you can't actually be connected in this way or you can't be having a holy experience when you're dealing with sex or love or relationships because you're queer, because you're a lesbian, all those different things. What they're really saying is you're not allowing me to control my understanding of God, right? You're yeah. not allowing me to actually consolidate the power that this I is need. true. People get really angry. People get really freaking angry. Yeah. And so when people get that angry about a a being that they imagine is all powerful, um, that they imagine to be omnipotent because you have a different relationship to them, that says a lot more about their character and and specifically this way that we're taught to be so controlling, right? We're even, because I can't imagine having a healthy relationship with God and thinking that I can control God or God's understanding or God's relationship to other people. It reminds me of, yeah, no, it it reminds me of, um, of like the insecurity around, um, machoism and the male ego. Like when Mm. you, when you see a dude walking down the street and all he wants to do is say no homo, no homo, no homo, right? Like that's like the same insecurity that comes when people are hopped up on this like religious belief that anything that falls outside these these bounds is absolutely wrong and therefore evil. And it's just like, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not a really good um, comparison. I was listening to something earlier about the male machismo. And for me, it was just like the, the similarities in the the uh, margin of fault and error were just so similar. Because for those devout Christians who can't seem to, to open themselves up to the LGBT ex- LGBTQ experience, it seems like it is it's it's hin- it's like it's like so brittle and frail that it's about to fall mm-hmm. apart, right? And yeah, <laughs> you seem real calm well, about this. <laughs> no, because it's like because I do think again it is insecurity, right? So because it's like when I hear someone saying something really uh out there about why they disbelieve my existence as Mm. a trans person as a queer person because i'm also a person of faith um i'm not insecure about that because like i actually feel pretty confident about my relationship (laughs) with with spirit (laughs) with creator so nothing that someone can say to me is going to make me insecure now the stuff that you do in policy that's going to make me hostile but like you say (laughs) something to me is not going to make me um, or your practice, all that kind of stuff like that. You're, you're, you saying something is not going to make me insecure. So what we also need to recognize is that most, especially when we talk about Christian spaces, like, can you imagine having a religion that is so powerful that, you know, you've got, uh, you get your holidays off every year. You get, uh, you know, you get your stuff announced on TV and by political offices you know, mm. you, um, you're never going to be attacked wow. in a public place for being that space and wow. still being insecure with someone else having a different belief than you. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So that stuff, again, like most, uh, I think, especially mainstream Christian spaces operate from a space of insecurity. That's where they get most of their money. <laughs> That's where they get most of the power by making people think someone mm. is coming to take some kind of 
understanding or something away from them. It's a right? shame. It's a shame. It doesn't make sense. But you, Mason, are not insecure about your body or your sexuality, are you? Are you sir? not at this place in my life? No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I, I mean, what allows you to be so free and and amazing with and just like in your in your space and comfortable with yourself? Um, I mean, you've on on Instagram, you've posted all kinds of pictures of yourself. The the um, quotes that you have are all. Um, body loving and about sex and joy and having sex and like where does that where does that even come from from somebody with so much faith and spirit and um the yes i'll end there where does that come i mean i think uh something that's just dirty um, just playing you said i'm what (laughs) i said you're also just dirty just playing Dirty in good ways, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully in good yeah. ways. As a germaphobe, I'm also hoping in very good ways. Um, but, oh, yes, of uh, course. <laughs> uh, for me, I think it's something that uh, Dane spoke to a little earlier. And um, Dane, excuse me, I think I, I'm, I'm using different language than what you shared. But I think for myself, um, what kind of comes up around our experience, not just of sex, but of the body, um, that these things, for me, you know, my experience with my body I do see as a gift, right? Not everyone has to see their body and everything and their experiences as a gift. I see mine as a gift. I see this life experience as a gift. I see my ability to see through the, um, the bullshit that sometimes people try to put on you around their um, preconceived notions around faith and scripture, all those things. I think that is a gift that I have the opportunity to be able to see things differently and to have more of a commitment and conviction about why I believe what I believe, right? Because I see the um, harm that it cause, causes. I see the violence that it causes. Mm. I see, I get to see all that stuff and not everyone has the capacity in their space right now to understand that mm. and to be able to do something different. Mic drop, amen. <laughs> yeah. so, no. so I think, um, yeah, and I think that's what I think kind of comes up for. So when I hear Dane talk about uh, some of the work that she's done over the years, when I hear, when I think about the people that we get to work with and are going to be able to work with, I'm really excited about uh, coming up with a theology that does not um, that does not pretend like sex is bad. I'm excited for a yeah. theology Amen. that Me is too. clear about um, the divinity of blackness and black trans people. I'm excited about a divinity in which we get to live all the different types of experiences we have with our bodies, you know, whether we believe we're living in them or beyond them, all those different things. And so I know that's going to be a transformative piece for me. I mean, from your lips to God's ears. And I want to say Mm -hmm. that um, it wasn't really until I met you, Mason, that I began to really... um, uh, that my views on sex began began to evolve. And you used to, I don't know how you feel about it now, but you used to... I'm like, what you going to say? What you right? going to say, Chris? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many secrets. No, you used to, you used to like really, really enjoy Dan Savage. And I know that like Dan Savage is basically... Um, it's like smut. It's just basically like smut for your ears. But I will say that Dan Savage's message, his messages on, on sex and sexuality and openness 
and where the real fault lies in relationships definitely opened my eyes because before it was like this really, really tiny little pinhole of a lens that you're looking at relationships through where one person does this and it means that the relationship is over, right? Or another person does this and it means that they obviously don't love you, you know? And Dan Savage definitely opened that up to understanding just who people are and that not all relationships are monogamous and that forgiveness is is way easier to give than popular culture wants to let you know um and so i don't know if it's a good idea to encourage people <laughs> to go listen to dan Savage. I, you know <laughs> i would say my opinions on dan Savage it is definitely not changed. it is they not definitely changed i know but it's definitely true <laughs> I'm I'm digging a pit over here. I know. I, I, I know. For Savage. I don't see it for Dan Savage. I don't see it for Dan Savage. Thank no, you. no Dan Savage 2018. <laughs> you know what? It's it's there's there's always we're all constantly on the path of growth. And and if you're in a space where you are listening to Dan Savage and it's just your life right now, then good for you. <laughs> But hopefully, eventually, we graduate from that and we move on. Right? Some of us are actually invested in accountability and some of us aren't. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're at a time in our lives as, like, people... Like, listen, there's an administration that is trying to kill us all. Yeah. And That's we serious. can no longer sit and allow for people not to be accountable for the ways not only that they take up space, but that they've right. been violent to other people. And so, yeah. like, the thing I've noticed about Dan Savage is that, like, he's really privileged. Uh-huh. He's really, he perpetuates whiteness. Um, mm-hmm. And he has investment yeah. and accountability. And so, like, for me, as a spiritual person, as a healer, as a priestess, like, if you're going to be in my life, if I'm going to celebrate and center you and love you and all of these things, like, you have to be invested in accountability because we have yeah. tried other ways for so long and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I don't see it for Dan Savage because Dan Savage isn't really actually invested in liberation or dismantling white supremacy or dismantling a system of oppression that continues to lead to the deaths of my sisters, my brothers, my trans siblings. Dan Savage wants to sit in his privilege and I can't I can't co-sign on that. Not in 2018. Yeah. Not in 2018. Yeah. I think that's going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> Not in 2018. <laughs> Because I think, like, real rap, and I'll say, you know, as we even think about our um, involvement around um, scripture and faith and all those different things, like, we also need to talk about an evolution around our queerness and our transness and all those different things. Um, And so I'll say, when I was younger, and especially, like, in my 20s, like, Dan Savage, for me, was someone I definitely looked up to. Um, And then I experienced and saw and witnessed more of his anti-Blackness and his unapologeticness about his anti-Blackness. And his transphobia and his unapologeticness about his transphobia and his unwillingness to move, right? He's someone who through the It Gets Better program, uh, It Gets Better project and other other stuff has, um, you know, he got more relevance. He got more um, profit. (laughs) And he specifically was able um, to get some support from folks that he didn't deserve <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways as someone that, um, again, uh, has proven so many times that, yeah, he can talk about sex positions and he can talk about being polyamorous, but can he talk about um, his uh, relationship to his whiteness and how it allows him to um, 
to kind of be this supposedly free spirit while also demonizing other people, right? So I've heard him um, after even Barack Obama was elected, uh, you know, um, when he spoke about blaming black people for the for Proposition 8 in California, right? Like he specifically did that, you know, um, uh. and never really seemed to take it back, right? Um, and so that kind of audacity in this time especially as we we all know that white supremacy has been such a powerful force and can, is what this country has been founded on but as trans and queer people as trans and queer people invested in black and brown liberation we have to also let go of pouring into people that specifically have benefited off our trauma because he shouldn't get paid to be able to say the things that he said about black people and still be on the air and still have a podcast and still be able to write well, I will say that he does he does one thing and mm-hmm. he 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 in the public eye and that is uh talk about sex in a new way and I think for many people who are stepping out of a a space that is conservative that is, you know, pinholed, you know, when you are when you are a child, you you think like a child, and when you grow up, you you think like an adult. You know the the if we can go back to the Bible, it talks about um, when you when you are young, you drink milk, and when you are older, you eat meat. You know, and and I think that's the difference between um, maybe the audiences that that consume uh, Dan Savage as if, as if, uh, he is as, you know, just amazing as we thought he was in, in 2012, you know, um, you grow up and you, and you be, you begin to, to see the, the faults in his, in, uh, in some of the things that he's saying and doing, but. Can I, can I, uh, comment on one of your analogies? Yes. I'm laughing at the fact you said milk to meat. Uh, didn't you grow up a vegetarian in that? Hey, my dad was a vegetarian. My mother was African, and there was no way she was not going to have chicken on the table. <laughs> we had we had veggie meat and chicken on the table. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mason. I think we're done now. I don't have anything else to say to you, Dane. You good? No. <laughs> I'm here still. You know what? I, I want to reflect back about like the the people who talk about sex, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, I like have a trans sister who. Um, so many trans women are actually coming out and being very um, open and vocal about sex and and, and and celebratory and also teach lessons on um, uh, on health and sex and all of these things like. My sister Venus Solonite is someone who mm-hmm. is deeply invested in sex education, and that's a black trans yeah. woman. Right? And so, like, um, for me, I'm like, you How know, do I lift her up? There, there's so many people for, oh, she's on, um, that goddess is on Twitter and on Instagram, I think it's Venus Solonite, V E N U S. I'm going to hit her up, yeah. L E N I T E. But I bring that up to say that, like, I think that, you know, back in, you know, back in when I was younger, I'm 34, um, I didn't really have the internet, so I had to read a lot, right? Like, there was not Google, there was not um, YouTube, there was not Netflix and all these other things to have access to. But I think now, as we get older, as, like, people who may have been children back in the early 2000s and things, 
now are a little bit older, I think as we evolve, there's a responsibility that we have to also celebrate and, and make um, visible people who are actually doing the type of work that we um, need and that we want to see happen too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm all about us creating the media that we need. I'm all about us telling our stories because if we don't tell our stories, someone else will come and tell it and we won't recognize it. And fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, we won't recognize it because it'll be wrong. But I mean, we will have had our chance to talk and we, you know, we didn't. So it's really important for us to do that. And I know as so many people say, we need to lift each other up. Um, where can people find you guys on online? How can people reach out to you? How can they follow you? Um, what's the best way? Uh, so right now, if people want to find us, you can go on to GoFundMe and you can look at <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> hashtag Black Trans Prayer Book. Black Trans um, Prayer Book, yeah. Yeah, and so aside from that, I'm also, I'm learning the Instagram, so at J Mace the third, so it's spelled A. Uh, oh, sorry, not A. At the letter J M A S E I I I on Instagram, and you can follow me there. Dang. So yeah, if you would like to donate to the project, you can go on to GoFundMe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you could. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much active on Instagram um, at Lady Dane F E. So that's Lady Dane D A N E F as in Frank, E as in Edward. Um, and, I, and I'm also active a little bit on Twitter as well, which is at the Lady Jane. On Twitter is where you're going to kind of get me like going off about shit that's happening. That's what um, we want. That's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, you'll get a little bit of that too, but you'll have to like, you'll have to like read it because I, you know, I share like my statuses on Instagram. Um, and then on Instagram, you also just might see my <laughs> well, listen. Well, I learned Instagram from Lady Dane, so <laughs> oh my goodness, I know what I'm in for then. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, Mason is naked all over Instagram. <laughs> Not every day, but like every other day. Every day, every day. <laughs> you know what? I lived on a bus with you for two months, and I see more of you on Instagram than I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> when we like lived in hotels together, oh you have God. really evolved, and I am, and I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> it's really easy to make fun of, though, but it's great. Oh goodness. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And that's our show. Don't forget to check out our Bible app, and please subscribe. If you want to find out more about me, Crystal Cheatham, you can hit me up at hi at crystalcheatham.com or on Twitter at Crystal Cheatham. Uh, just to let you guys know, I will be at Creating Change in D.C. tomorrow, and then I'm flying down to Vanderbilt Theological Seminary to do a talk in Nashville. If you want to catch up with me, send me an email or hit me up on social media. Can't wait to hear from y'all. Okay, bye!